0: You are listening to a sermon from St Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Now we've been looking through the Book of Isaiah, and we're going to look at Isaiah 65, verses one to sixteen, and just reflect upon what God says to us in that, and. Uh, Again, if you've not been here, let me bring you up to scratch with the story so far, which is really that uh, the portion of Isaiah we've been looking at from Isaiah chapter 40 to the end is a prophecy that's given to God's people who are faced with all kinds of difficulties, not least that they've been exiled, they've been promised a return to Jerusalem, but it's a Jerusalem that's been devastated. And Isaiah, or the the Lord through Isaiah, has been showing the people how they have just turned away from him, and how he needs to provide a way to save them, and it's a part of the Bible that's full of what we call the good news about Jesus, even though it's in the Old Testament. And we're at this, the heading in the NIV is very um, good, actually, it says judgment and salvation. And we're looking at how we choose things. Now, it's interesting when you're talking about we children, you know, um, if I said to Isla when she came up, would you like to be baptized? I know what she would do. She would shake her head. Not because she's a Baptist or because anyone's got to her. Chris is smiling, saying, yes, she is. <laughs> but, but because that's just her reaction. I mean, she, she's got no. people say, well, what, you know, what, a child, how, how can you, a child has no, you can't choose for a child. Well, actually you do. We choose all different kinds of things for our children. For example, we don't say to our children, eat whatever you want, or at least not if you're sensible. Um, Where would you like to live? Okay, let's go and live there. Would you like to go to church? We don't let children choose lots of different things. We don't say on Monday morning, would you like to go to school today? No. Okay, don't go. We don't do that, not if we're decent parents at all. And it's funny, in our culture, We live in a culture where everyone says, oh, you can choose whatever you want. You can even choose your own gender if you want. You can choose whether to be a boy or a girl. You can choose this. You can choose that. And you think, well, actually, no, you don't. You can't. But there are things that we can choose. And life is full of this kind of balance between our circumstances and choices that are made for us and the choices that we ourselves have to make. Some of you are here today because you're invited and you decided, you chose whether to come or not. When you vote in an election, you have a choice. But some choices are, of course, more significant than others. Someone asks you to marry them. It's a big deal, saying yes or no to that one. Maybe tomorrow you get up, and there's a letter. You haven't even applied for it. Someone's offering you just a great job. Do you take it? Or not. But here, we're presented with the greatest choice of all, how we respond to God. And I think these last two chapters of Isaiah are setting up this kind of juxtaposition between choosing life and choosing death, choosing Christ or rejecting Christ. So, we'll go through the first 16 verses, Uh, Verse 1 is, first of all, the invitation. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me, to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. The first thing in choosing God is that he takes the initiative. Here God is revealing himself to people who didn't ask for him. Now, I know that there are people here who never ever thought about going to church and then one day you just just something happened that made you seek out god and you went and you've become a believer and it's just been extraordinary and as you look back you can see how god was drawing you and god was bringing you how how do you explain that i remember one young man coming in here and he lived down the perth road and I said to him, uh, Why do you come to church? Do you normally go to church? And he says, No, I've never been to church in my life. I said, Oh, um, and what brought you here? He said, Well, I just got up in the morning and I thought I have to go to church. So he said, I went to the church down the road. And he said, I went in and I thought, No, this is not church. And then he said, I thought I'd go somewhere else at night. So he said, I came here and I walked in. And as soon as I came in and I heard you start, I thought, This is it. And what's your background? How? He had no idea. He had no clue. Of course, uh, very quickly, he realized the Lord was calling him, and he became a believer. God takes the initiative towards people who've neither asked for him nor sought him. It's interesting because this is said in the context of a people who thought that they were the people of God, and they're being told, God can call anyone to him. I think the background in this as well is God's people saying to him, where are you? What have you done? I went to see a very traumatic film uh, this week. Um, It's called The Silence. Some of you will have heard of it. It's uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, It's beautiful, beautifully filmed. Uh, An incredible story, you'd think, who wants to make a film about 16th century Japanese Christians being persecuted? And more importantly, would I want to go and see it? Well, it's Scorsese, so it's quite violent. But actually, not in a a kind of gratuitous way. And it's a very, very deeply moving and deeply disturbing film in lots of ways. Because the story is of A priest who apostatizes, turns away from God in order to save people's lives, and um, a priest who goes to find him and so on, and I'll I'll not do the spoiler for you if you do go to see it, but the theme throughout the whole film is, why does God allow this to happen to his people? Christians being tortured, Christians being crucified, Christians being tied to stakes and drowned why are you doing this? And it seems as though there is silence. One man says this, the silence of God is a terrible thing. It mocks our prayers and makes our universe a frightening forsaken place. So what is God's answer? I don't think Scorsese, he gets so close, but he doesn't get there. I don't think Scorsese gets the gospel. Because God's answer is always that God is there, and He is not silent, and He is speaking. And in this passage, we're being told that God was never far away, and He was still calling. He was calling people who thought that they didn't belong. Paul in Romans takes this uh, and uses it to set up this contrast between those who thought they did belong, and they didn't know Jesus, and those who thought they would never belong and they were called Romans 10:20 and Isaiah boldly says I was found by those who did not seek me I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me He goes on but concerning Israel he says all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people And here's the paradox There will be people here in this church who have come to this church for many times And you've heard the gospel many times and God has held his hands out to you many times and you are a disobedient and obstinate people you never said yes I'll come to you in a moment but it's also there are people here and can I say this there are people in this city who right now the last thought on their mind is about God They're not seeking God. They're not looking for God. They're not desperate for God. But the Lord seeks them. And the Lord reveals himself to them. Sometimes those of us who are Christians and we want to communicate the gospel, we get this dreadfully wrong because we think, if only we have the right technique, if only we have the right people, (coughs) the right organization, then it'll work. So I hear people say things like, oh, Muslims are really hard to reach with the gospel. Uh Uh-huh, duh. But so are nominal Christians. So is everybody else. But here's an amazing thing. There are many, many Muslims who are becoming believers. And why are they becoming believers? Often, many of them have had dreams about Jesus. Just things that have happened. And they're aware of God, of Jesus, drawing them. And you know, if I think about the housing estates of Dundee, and if I think about the middle class areas, and and maybe you think about the people you work with, and you think, oh, they've never become Christians. They're not interested. You think about some of your fellow students. Well, this is what our God does. I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And I think that is a wonderful thing. But let's just look at the the disobedient. All day long, I've held up my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat. That kind of context and culture here as well is important to understand. When the people are coming and saying, God, you're far from me, the answer is, I'm not, and I'm not silent, but you're not listening. God has held out his hands, and they have rejected his hands. There are those who have been brought up with religious privileges. Now, some people say, that's not fair. How can some children be brought up in a Christian home and others not? Really? So your children have food. Do you go, that's not fair. There are children who don't have food. Your children have a mum and dad. There are children who don't. You say, that's not fair. There are children who don't. No, you count your blessings. You're very thankful. When I see the children go out to Sunday school, I, I'm, I, I find it still just so moving in lots of ways. Because these are covenant children who are largely are being brought up in Christian homes. And that is such a blessing. It's such a great thing. My granddaughter, I had lots of things I could wish for her. Could wish she lived in Scotland for a start, but we'll get there. Um, lots of things I could wish for her. But nothing matters compared with the fact that her parents are believers and are bringing her up in the Christian faith. But many of us who've been brought up in the Christian faith, whether it's at a nominal level or even a very sincere level we can turn away. We can be rebellion, rebellious. And here, God's people had turned to pagan practices. They'd gone away from the, the laws of Moses and the sacrifices in the gardens and so on. That wasn't against open-air worship. It was just the kind of pagan worship that went on in that culture. And they just acclimatized to it. And they'd said that they were still followers of, of the Lord, but they'd adopted the practices and the customs of the people around relief for you because you're not pagan. You don't do pagan stuff. Well, be very careful. I think paganism is on the way back, not just in formal pagan societies, but in terms of our culture. For example, and I I won't go into detail on this because there's too much detail, but one basic thing is pagans worship the body. And in our culture, we worship the body. It's my body. I'll do with it as I please. Pagans here, we're told, they pursued their own imaginations. And one man comments on this, which I found very insightful in terms of our own culture. This rejection of God arises from a self-confident adoption of an individualistic lifestyle based on personal imaginations, personal thoughts and plans. And again, in our culture, we say to people, you dream your own dreams, you think your own thoughts, and then you act upon them. But just think about this. Some of our thoughts are just a real mess. They're just really crazy. And we're going to base our lives upon them? Sadly, that's what people do. Sadly, too often in religious worship, that's what happens. It's not worship according to what God says. It's worship according to how we feel, according to how we think. And it results in conduct, as it's put, not good. They pursue their own imaginations. They continually provoke God. They reject the revelation of God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not making a political point here, but after the inauguration of Donald Trump, for me, one of the most telling things was when he had his inaugural ball and the first song. I didn't know that they did all this, but it's like a wedding where the bride and groom stand up to dance first, and then everyone else comes in, the vice president, and who knows who else. And I I just, I caught a glimpse of it. It was Donald and um, Mrs. Trump dancing to the song, the song he chose, My Way. And he was singing it, I did it my way. And I thought, you fool. You can't, you can't do it your way. You know, it, it, for me, and to put it a balance on the other side, that march of uh, four women or whatever yesterday, some of the footage of that was exactly the same. People say, we're going to do it our way. They reject the revelation of God. They reject the Ten Commandments. They go for other things. They provoke God to His face, and it ends up in false worship. And by the way, even if, if you're here as a visitor and you're saying, well, I don't worship. I don't normally go to church. I've just come here today my answer would be actually you do worship what you love is what you worship and our culture is filled with worship and you see it on our television screens and in our football stadiums and in our shopping centers every day who say keep away don't come near me for i am too sacred for you such people are smoke in my nostrils a fire that keeps burning all day See, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps. Both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills. I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. Here's the interesting thing. These people are not non-religious. They are self-righteous, religious hypocrites, They think that they are better than others. They've developed a culture of elitism. They cultivate other gods. One of the things, one of the signs that you are a Christian, and one of the signs that you are growing as a Christian is humility. Now, I was asked, I'll come back to Mr. Trump, I was asked this week, how do you know Donald Trump's not a Christian? How can you make that judgment? Well, his understanding of the gospel is minimalist, to put it mildly. I don't care particularly if my politicians are Christian or not, by the way. That's not the issue. But one of the key factors is by their fruits you shall know them. And humility for the Christian is something that should become part of our nature. Now, that's very difficult. That sounds a little bit like I'm standing here and going, look how humble I am, which doesn't really work. Um, But that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is there are people who are so full of themselves and so full of their religion and so full of how right they are and how wrong other people are, and yet they don't know God. They've forsaken God's holy mountain and says There'll, there's a day when justice will come. So Christ is offered to us, and there are plenty of religious people, including in Christian churches, who reject Christ But then, there's this good news. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it. (coughs) Sorry, there's still a blessing in it. So will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them and there will my servants live. Sharon will become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Acre a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. Now, what Isaiah does is he takes, and I think this is probably right, some people think this, and I think this is correct. He takes Psalms 57, 58, and 59, and there's a tune. Like we've said, we said to Psalm 36, we're going to sing to the tune Huddersfield, you know, as they did in ancient Israel. And, uh, he, but they had tunes then. We don't know what this tune was. We know its name. It would be really great to discover it. One of the great discoveries. The tune was called, Do Not Destroy. And these three Psalms were sung to it. And it seems as though Isaiah is using this well-known tune. Imagine a really well-known tune. And he's setting before them the benefits of following Christ and of accepting Christ. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Here's the sad thing. There are many people who are religious, who go to church and who've, you know, maybe even read the Bible and who think that they're good people, but when Jesus speaks to them, they don't listen, they don't follow Him, they don't accept. Whereas people who you'd think, well, they don't want anything, and why He says tax collectors is because they were regarded as traitors and the prostitutes, immoral, they did follow because they believed what Jesus said. And Isaiah uses this image of wine and of the wine press and of the vintage That there were grapes that were rubbish, but there were grapes that were chosen and saved. And they take possession of the land. In verse 9, it's this, uh, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob. My chosen people will inherit them. God chooses us so that we choose him. Now, Christians get in an awful mess about this, and non-Christians as well, because people will say, well, if God chooses me, there's nothing I can do. Or you get other people who go, well, it's up to me whether I choose God or not. But actually, the two things go together because God chooses us so that we could choose him. And we do have to make a choice. The old uh, children's song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Some of you know it. Uh, You know that the Calvinist version is I've been elected to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Um, We didn't get told that one in Sunday school. Um, Both are true both are true. Because the awesome thing is, you are here of your own free will, and yet you are here because God brought you here. And that, for me, is always stunning. And he uses another picture. He speaks about Sharon and Acre. And Sharon, again, we wouldn't know these uh, places. They're not part of our culture. But in Israel, it was used, particularly in Isaiah, to typify deterioration. It was a fertile coastal coastal land and it just went downhill. And Acre was a barren inland kind of desert type place. And it had been blessed by God and then had been cursed after the people had turned away. So if you mention Sharon and Acre, people would say, oh, I don't want to go there. There are no areas that have been blessed. But now we're being told that God comes and He reverses this. And in the midst of barrenness, there's fruitfulness. And instead of deterioration, there's renewal. And instead of rejection, there's acceptance. And instead of ugliness, there's beauty. And instead of death, there's life. And you see, that's what happens when we accept Christ. We can, nobody comes to Christ and says, Lord, I've got this, this, and this. You and me, we can make things happen. You've got to accept me you need me. You don't come to Christ like that. That's why proud people, why proud religious people, stay away. But if we are aware we have nothing, if we are aware we cannot save ourselves, if we are aware we are broken, if we are aware we cannot heal ourselves, then when Christ invites us and we believe it, we come and we receive these great blessings. And he goes on, As for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table of fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. See, every decision we make in life, it does have consequences. Of course it does. But some have greater consequences than others. Whoever believes in the Son, says Jesus, has eternal life. John 3, 36. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And as often in the Bible, Isaiah uses the picture of mountains, two mountains. One is God's holy mountain, and the other is, on on the holy mountain rather, that's the place Where God's people sought him. But here he's speaking about people who've gone to another mountain, who reject God's word and reject God's way and choose evil. And he almost makes fun of them because he says, You choose gods who need food. There's a God who feeds you, and you reject him, and you go to gods who need food, who demand food and drink. Now, we probably don't worship false gods in that sense, but we do contradict the will the mind the heart and the word of god and it's a choice and it's deliberate some people say oh i can't believe in a god who would judge people i can't believe in a god who would send people to hell but god is just and fair and you're the one who's choosing when you choose to reject God, when you choose to reject His will, when you choose to reject His Word, when you choose to refuse Him when He invites you, you can't turn around and then complain, oh, but... And that's what we're being warned about here. But there's this contrast. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. There are two different feasts being set up. There's hunger and thirst and sorrow and crying out and brokenness of spirit, and there is food and drink and singing and joy and the refuge of the name of God. And when Becky and Pete bring Isla to be baptized, they're not saying, We're making her a Christian. They're saying, We choose. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Isla will grow up and she will make her own decisions as an adult. But for a child, you do choose. We are going to live here, we're going to eat this, we're going to worship. And I, and I make this plea actually to parents. Don't get into your head the idea of our culture that, oh, well, I can't force my children to go to church and so on. What? You force them to brush their teeth. You force them to do everything else if, if you want to use force in that way. Bringing children up in the covenant community is not abuse. It's the most wonderful thing that can happen for any child. Now, because they're responsible human beings. They have to make their own choice as they grow up. But the context in which they make that choice is made by the parents of the Lord through the parents. And I think this picture of choose food or hunger, choose drink or thirst, choose crying out in pain or singing out of the joy from your hearts. Incidentally, just another kind of Aside, one of the images of religion that many non Christians have, and again, you may have this, is somehow it's quite good. You know, it's, it's a good thing, and uh, it's nice to be religious, it's nice to do good, it's nice to believe in God. But religious people are awful, doer. Now, if you're not from Scotland, doer's a great word. It just describes half the congregation. No, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. Doer describes. Me, when I'm full of the flu, and when Dundee have just lost, and Andy Murray's knocked out, and uh, it's grey, miserable, and all the rest of it. Um, Dure is just, oh, well, it's good to be a Christian, but it's kind of miserable. Um, there was a caricature uh, Ricky Fulton did, Reverend I. M. Jolly. Um, it was brilliant because it got a wee bit too close to the bone for some of us. Oh, I'm awful, awful, joyful in the Lord. You know, um, I'm glad I've got a cold, because I can do the deep voice as well. Well, if you bring your children up, or if children are brought up in a family where Christianity is perceived as making the parents miserable, and everyone else is miserable, I, you're not reflecting what Scripture says. You're not bringing them up in the way of the Lord. It's not saying you're not going to ever have trouble. You're never going to be sorrowful. You're never going to have fights. You are going to have that. But joy should be part of the staple diet of the Christian. And one of the things I love um, about uh, this church at at this moment in time, and it's been a case for quite a wee while, one of the things I love is this. When I talk to the children, they love coming to church, and not because they get sweeties. They love coming to church because it's their community and because we cut them some slack and everything else, but it's their community. They belong. They're not the church of the future. They're the church of today. And for these children, growing up in that is a wonderful thing because some of us, we know what it's like. Some of you know what it's like, don't you, to, to grow up in a, in a church environment, which to be honest, if it wasn't for the fact that you believed it, you would just want to get out. But isn't it wonderful to be part of a community where you rejoice not only that it's true, but that it brings joy? And that's seen, I think, in this last verse. He will give you another uh, name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. (coughs) The new name makes a new person with new potentialities and new prospects. Never been a big fan of the idea of infant baptism being christening. We're making them Christians or we're giving them a Christian name. I think the whole idea of the name, though, is very, very important. And when a a child is born, I think one of the most wonderful things is they're not born as clones. You can see in them aspects of their parents, hopefully aspects of their grandparents, the good ones, um, you can see that, but they are their own personality. Um, I'm not, I don't know where this comes from, so I think it's probably more on the maternal side, or it may be on the Milburn side, but I have to confess this. It's been lovely having uh, uh, Isla with us, but boy, she's stubborn, you know? And she's got her own mind, and she's got her own opinion about things, even though she can't express it. Well, she does, she knows how to express it quite well. It's, and it's quite funny to watch. I'm thinking, oh boy, I can see your granny and you answer. No. <laughs> Maybe you can see yourself. I don't know. But that's the wonderful thing about becoming a Christian. You don't turn into a clone. You're given new potentiality, new prospects, and you follow the one true God. Now, what I love about this, the God of truth, it's literally the God of Amen. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Revelation 3.14, Jesus says this, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. What does Amen mean? We say Amen. I wish we did. Some of us say it silently and in our hearts, but that's not very good. I have to say, Amen means, yes, Lord, let it be. Amen means that you're agreeing with what's being said. Amen is the most affirming thing you could ever say. So we should say it when we pray, when we hear. Second Corinthians 1.18, As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in Him, it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, here's the most wonderful thing about being a Christian and about growing up in a Christian home. There are promises that are made, and the promises that really count are not the ones that we make. They are the promises that God makes to us. And every promise that God makes to us is yes, because of Jesus and in Jesus. I'd be prepared to argue this. Now, maybe some of you will have different information but I study a lot of different religions and different things and try to understand. Every religion I look at, it it's never has God as yes. It's always, if you do this, and if you do that, then maybe this will happen. And I think human religions are maybe religions because they are human religions. But what comes from the God of the universe, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know this because of Christ, He's the one who says yes. So it says in the Bible, God's word won't return to him empty. Do I get up this morning and think, oh, you know this, not feeling that good, who knows what's going to happen, and you know, will God's word work? Yes, it will, because He said it will. I believe it absolutely. When Isaiah is baptized, do I believe that God's blessing? Will be upon her and her family? Absolutely. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. If someone here says, I'd like to become a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, will Christ accept me? Yes, he will everything in Christ, everything that God has promised in Christ is yes. That's why it's so wonderful reading the Bible and finding the promises of God, not following our own thoughts and our own imaginations and our own way of doing things. And you can have it your way, and you can do it your way. I don't want to do it my way. My way would wreck my life. It would wreck my family's life and and the whole of society. No, thank you. I'd rather do it the way of the good and eternal, and pure, and holy God. That's what it means to trust Him. Even through the dark times, even through the hurting times, even through the doubtful times, we still say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. God has revealed Himself to us who did not seek Him, And we should be thankful for that. If we've grown up with Christian privileges, we're coming to this church or other churches, and we're turning away from God, we need to listen and heed the word of warning that is here. If we're new, and we've never heard all of this, you need to hear the word of invitation that is here and the word of blessing that is here. And all of us need to see and believe that there's a blessing that comes from following the one true God. It's a sad story this week. A cathedral in Glasgow had a service of Christian worship in which a Quranic reading was read which mocked Christianity and said that God does not have any son. And there was a big fuss about it and various other things. And you know, I, we'd, I, I hope none of us here are anti Islamic or anti Muslim in the sense of being against Muslim people. I hope not. But we love Muslims and want Muslims to know Jesus Christ. And reading something which denies who Christ is, is just horrible. There's a chaplain to the Queen who quite rightly saw this as wrong and said it was wrong, and now he's been compelled to resign. And the queen's the defender of the faith. I mean, not by her, but because his position and all the rest of it. And I was thinking, oh, that. And he said, I want to be able to speak for the one true God. Well, good for him. I don't know the rest of his theology, but good for him. He's lost his job over it. The one true God. To some people, to some of you, that will sound so arrogant. But if it's true, it's not arrogant. And it is true. And Christ is the way to know that one true God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for (coughs) your blessings to us. Thank you for your covenant mercies. And grant that each of us here would know who Christ is and be able to love you and serve you and follow you. Those of us, who, Lord, who've heard these words many times, break our stubborn hearts, melt our stubborn hearts. Those of us who know this, but have lost sight of it and are drowning under a wave of different pressures and doubts and fears, help us just to look beyond and see you. And those of us who don't know it and maybe heard it for the first time, grant our God that as you have reached out to us, so we would reach out to you and hear your amen.